Thank you so much for, for being here this morning. I'm glad to be here and sharing the Word of God with you guys this morning. So let's dive into the book of Malachi, chapter 1, uh, verse 6. And I know it's a little different book. Uh, uh, if you don't know where it is, you just have to go to Matthew and then go one page or two, you know, backwards. You're going to find the book of Malachi there. It's a tiny book. But nevertheless, very powerful. So Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, goes like this. A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due to me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty. It is your priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering the fire food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defied you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, isn't that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, isn't that not wrong? Try to offer those to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Now, uh, oh, that one of you will shut the temple doors so that, uh, so that you will not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord, and I will not accept offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises, from where he sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Let's pray one more time. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And I pray that you will speak to us this morning, that your Holy Spirit will be with us, sharing our hearts, what you need to share to us this morning, Lord. And yeah, we invite you to be with us here and yeah, my, my prayer that you won't be only my opinion, my thoughts, but you'll be your Holy Spirit speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I know that the book of Malachi is not a very common book for us to, to preach on, and I acknowledge that, yeah, the, the, it gets a little confused, all the minor prophets by the end of the Old Testament and all, and where they fit in the his, history of Israel. So I'd like to just give, give us a little background on the book of Malachi this morning. You know, it was written around 458 to 433 before Christ, around, around that time somewhere. That was uh, uh, past the time of Esdras. So the temple was already rebuilt. They were back already from exile. Some were back in the city of Jerusalem and some were scattered throughout the world at that time. But the worship of God was back to be centered in Jerusalem again. You know, as I said, the temple was rebuilt, but Israel was far, far from being in the golden age as they were in the times of David, as they were in the time of Solomon. Solomon. And they were also not a powerful war machine as they were in Joshua's time. At this moment in history of Israel, they were a small and not very influential province 
of the Persian Empire. So they would not make much difference in the political aspect of their time. And they were very, very small in comparison to some of the, the other cities and the other places in the, in the importance in the Persian around that time. And that's when God is calling the prophet Malachi to prophesy. We don't know exactly if Malachi is his name or if his, if his, his title. What we do not know is his name. His name means my messenger. And by the reading of this small book, you know, you see that indeed he was the messenger of the Lord for his time, for his people. Uh, a, comment, uh, a commentator that I read this week, he says that, you know, the teachings of Malachi are piercing to the hearts and souls of the believer till today. It's a very small but powerful book con condensed in a lot of truth that he has. You know, and we, in looking at Israel at this point, you think, man, they should be better off, at, off now. They've been through so much in the exile, you know, and they've been there. They know it's because of their idolatry, because of the injustice they were promoting in that time. They were doing so bad, and through the exile, through all that suffering, now they probably learn. And that's what you expect, right? The, the Israel will probably come back and say, okay, now we're going to do everything right. We're going to do right this time. But that was not exactly the case. And that's when God calls Malachi to confront his people. And he starts by saying, compare in verse 6, actually, starting in verse 6, by comparing himself, you know, as a father and as a, as a slave master or slave owner. And the first part, like, as a father, we, we all know, right? We all know that God is a father. Even, even believers believe that or know that somewhat, you know? But his slave master, that's a little bit odd, right? It's a weird combination between the two. And I, I remember, like, going to, to my work, and I was between 16 and 17 years old, and was a office boy. I don't know if there's that kind of job nowadays. Some of you may have that job, office boy. The, the job was basically, you know, take the papers from one, one office to another, or go to a bank, or back and forth with papers. That, that was my deal. That's what I had to do, mainly. And I had, in that job, I had two different bosses. You know, one of them was a strong believer lady, and the other was a non-believer. Nevertheless, we did have a good relationship. I was happy to know that was in a place that was a believer and she was my boss. It was good. That was actually really good. Starting my first job, you know, and at least I have a boss that is a believer. But the other guy, he was not a believer whatsoever. But I remember one day in a conversation when the guy said, the non-believer said, oh, God is our father. You know, and the lady turns to him and says, no, he's not. He's the, he's the father of only those that belong to him. Only those that accept him in his heart can call him his father. You know, and I remember they're like, ooh, it's a little harsh evangelism, you know, style, you know. I thought, wow, well, that's good, you know. Well, I'm not so sure gonna take I would take that route, but that was good, you know. Got, got the message, message across. But even an unbeliever can acknowledge that God is, you know, a father. But a slave master is something that we don't usually connect to God. But in Romans, in Romans 1, uh, right, right in the beginning, when Paul is introducing himself, he says, you know, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. 
And the word servant there, it means a slave. A slave of Christ Jesus. You know, and that's what, what he's meaning. You know, and he knew it clearly that him and Christ's church belonged to Christ. It was not bought with cheap money. It was actually bought with the most highest, the highest price of all, the blood of Jesus Christ. He knew he belonged to him. So it's no, it's no surprise to know like that, yes, you know, that we belong to Christ in that sense that both God is our Father and also we belong to God. And then here God is confronting his people saying, hey, you are not honoring me. You're not respecting me. You're not showing this to me. And in response to, to him, the people of God turns to him and ask a question. They answer God with a question. They say, how have we, you know, how have we shown contempt for your name? How have we despised your name? They, you know, they, instead of like being humble, no, they answer God back with a question. And they, they do that several times in the book of Malachi. There are seven, several questions that the people, that God is saying that the people is, is answering back to him, you know, and ba basically challenging God somewhat, you know. And I have, um, have four kids, and one of them is, uh, is four years old, and he's starting to get to this phase of asking, why? You know, he turns and says, why this? Why that? You know, now I'm working more at home and he, I'm doing something and he's like, Daddy, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? He, he's very curious right now. He really wants to know why things, right? So he's starting this phase right now. But my two oldest, oldest girls, the, the two that are sitting right there, one A and the other 10, they, you know, they have a different approach. You know, usually when they ask why, they don't really know, want to know why, the reason why. You know, one of, one, of, one of the times, the main times that that happens is when they go to my mom's house, Vovó's house, and they usually have fun there. My mom lets them do whatever they want to do. She really does the grandmother job, you know, of spoiling them. And they, you know, they really have fun. But in, in, often the question that when I go pick them up is, can we sleep at Vovó's house? Can we sleep here tonight? You know, it usually goes that way. And sometimes we let them, but sometimes we say no, right? For one reason or another, you know, we say no to them. And they usually turn to us and say, why not? Why not? That, that's Sophia would say that that way. But my, my other Jesse, she would do the Shrek cat face, you know, like, why not? You know, I don't know if you guys seen that movie Shrek you know, at this point. And, uh, and the reality is, they do not, they do not want to know why. They don't. You know, they know why. They know the reason. But what they want mainly is their way. They want to see if they can ask him why, asking questions they can get through me. And I will say yes by the end of that. So they don't really want to know why. And somewhat, I think the people here, you know, responding to God, you know, Israel at this moment, I think that that's what they're doing. When they're asking God a question, how have we done this? How have we done that? They don't really mean it. They don't really want to know exactly. What they do is to do their way. It's to f find a way with God to get to how, how they want to do. 
And still, God answers them back and shows them back, hey, look, you know, you guys are, are offering sacrifices. You know, they are, they are not good. They are no good to me. They are offering sacrifices of, you know, blind animals, of disease, of land, uh, lame animals. He's still answering them back saying, hey, this is the reason, you know. And really, when we look at this, we can think, uh, the special, we can think, oh, maybe our conclusion that they are not offering their best. They're offering their worst. And that's true. That's really true. But what I think God is doing is working in their hearts. You know, through a human perspective, you know, that what they're doing is actually not offering something that is holy to God. And we know how much holiness was important to God in the worship, you know, scenario. And I know that nowadays it's hard to relate to old Israel when, as far as worship goes. You know, we used to worship in this context that we have. But back in the day, worship meant go and offering God, offering God sacrifices of animals and all kinds of stuff, right, in the, in the temple. You know, but what they were offering the Lord was something impure, was something that was not holy. And through a human perspective, through a human perspective, when I compare Israel of this time to the Israel before, prior to the exile in the Babylon, Babylon days, I would say, you know what, they, they have improvement here. That is improvement, right? You know, when you read back then, you have them offering sacrifice of their own children to the, to the gods. At the same time, they want to worship the Lord, you know, and come here, they, they are not doing that. You know, in fact, there is not much of the idolatry of that time, neither from here all the way to Jesus' time. You know, so through a human perspective, I would say, yeah, oh, there is improvement there, you know, some, some good, you know, going on here. But what I believe is happening is that God is looking actually at their hearts. God is looking at what's inside, what's motivating them to do this. You know, and <clears throat> their practice may differ from this time of Israel history to the time of before, you know, the exile. But their hearts were still the same. They still wanted to worship God in their terms, not on His terms. And sometimes I think that's our struggles too. We wanted to serve God, but we wanted to do it in our terms. When the, on the outside, everything might look great. Everything might look awesome that we're doing, but inside of our hearts, our motivation are not always quite right. You know, one, one small and minor example of that is our Bible reading. We know we should read the Bible. We know we should, you know, be on the Word to know God more. But sometimes our motivation could be, I want to I read Scripture to feel better, to feel like I'm doing something right. Or we can be reading to tell other people, I'm reading Scripture, and I'm good, you know. But our hearts, you know, we, we you know, the, in the our words can look good, but in our hearts, the motivations are all wrong. And really, even that is more example. Try to have the motivation all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. Genesis might start well, Exodus, you know, somewhat good, but when it gets to Leviticus, that that's the hard one to keep going. You know, our motivation will change how we approach. You know this, and I bet really that won't. 
make you move into the reading of the scripture. And I think that's what God is getting to his people, is to their hearts. You know, is what, what they, you know the, in a way, the people of Israel, you know, they were serving God, but in their hearts, they were far from him as possible. When God wanted a relationship with his people, yeah, they were despising his name in their hearts and really showing that through what they were doing. So God was so tired of this that in verse 10, he goes and tells his people, Oh, if one of you will shut the doors of the temple, then I will not receive these offerings anymore, the sacrifices anymore. Imagine God turning to us, to our worship to him, and say, Oh, if one of you just close the door so nobody will walk in and offer me this, this sort of worship. And basically that's what God is telling these people here. But at the same time that his, his people are showing contempt for his name, and God saying, I, I don't want a none of this worship, he comes back to them and say, you know what? Despise your attitude towards me. My name will be great among the nations. He says that in verse 11. It's like he's saying, you may despise my name, but I will rise, I will rise all the other nations, all the nations, to offer me a pure and holy sacrifice. You know, God is not saying a maybe on that. He's certain of the reality. And it's no spoiler to say how God decided to accomplish this. He chose his church to join him into making his, great, his name great among the nations. In Matthew 28, right by the end of Matthew, he says, All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciple of all nations. And I believe that that's our main motive to share and to preach the gospel, to do evangelism, to go to missions. The chief motivation is the glory of His name. Much emphasis is put into, when we talk about evangelism, preaching the gospel, enriching out for the lost. You know, for, for sure, you know, that's an important motive. That's an important reason to grow. That, that's why I left home, was to, to preach the gospel to the lost. But I, I don't think that's the main motivation. That's not exactly what's going to keep us faithful on the preaching of the gospel. Especially when the lost is trying to cure you, as it is in some of, you know, some countries around the world. Or when the lost is casting you out for your believers in Jesus Christ, you know, or when the lost disappoints you or frustrates you, you know, I believe that that is not going to keep us faithful to the preaching of the God. That motivation won't keep us going. But I would say, yes, the glory of His name, it is a chief, our chief motive to keep preaching the gospel. And going back to the certainty of verse 11, there is no shadow of a doubt in God's words that he would make his name great among the nations. That a pure offering of worship would be, you know, 
uh, will be given to him to all nations. He's certain of that. In Calvin's commentary on this passage, he says that the name of God cannot be great without the teaching of the truth. Paul, in Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. God entrusted the power of salvation to his gospel. Our mission is long enough to say that you can go days, months, years without seeing much results. And that can be a little frustrating. You know, you're working there really hard, work with children and communities. You can be working, you know, like hard work many times. And you, can, you won't see sometimes much. It takes sometimes years for you to see some fruit of your work. And that can be very, very frustrating. But where our strategies and methods fail, the Holy Spirit will not. Where the gospel of Christ is being uh, faithfully preached, that will be salvation. God will make his name great among the nations. And whether you're preaching the gospel, your home, whether you're preaching your gospel to your neighbors, at your school, at your work, at your Uber, no matter how long it takes, there will be salvation. God has not entrusted his power to no political agenda. And sometimes I see so many Christians jumping so fast in political conversation and argumentations and so shy about preaching the gospel. But God has not entrusted the power of salvation to no political party. His glory will be manifested from where the sun rises to where he sets, no matter how weak, wicked the nations are. So the old nation, just to conclude, the old nation, uh, where the old nation of Israel failed to really show God's glory to all the Gentile nations around him, I believe the church of God, the church of Christ, will not so God is making his name great among the nations and the question to us is are we willing to participate with him on that okay amen that's a little bit of the word of God I wanted to share with you guys this morning thank you so much